Amen. Good morning. You can be seated. It's great to be with you. How are we today? Good. You guys have some energy today? Yeah? I think you're going to need it because we're going to go into Romans 8 this morning. I'm excited about it. Um, here's been my, my prayer and my continued thought, just like it was last week, is that you would have been better for coming here uh, today. I know that you had to brave the South Florida rain uh, to get here today, and uh, you made that decision to be here, and I'm glad that you're here, and I, I pray that you would, at the end, you would say it was, it was worth it. It was worth it to come. It was worth it to worship with brothers and sisters. It was worship um, that was, was had there and that you, know, you heard the word of God. And my prayer is that God would just encourage you this morning, that he would refresh you, that he would strengthen you. Ultimately, I pray that God would change all of us into his, his likeness today, more into his likeness. And so I know this morning God wants to speak to us. The question is, are we ready to listen? One person. Lovely. All right, let me preach to you. Okay. Awesome. Remember at New Beginnings, we are a church that speaks, right? We can amen. It's okay. You don't have to be sitting there just like, you know, yeah, exactly. I don't know what that, whatever that was. Yes, Cedric, whatever that was. But we, uh, you can talk. It's okay to amen things. It's okay to speak. It's okay. Uh, If you have your Bible, go with me to Romans chapter 8. For the next 10 weeks, we're going to be in this series studying Romans chapter 8. Now, we'll take a two-week break to focus in on uh, Easter um, and uh, to prepare our hearts for Easter. But for the next eight weeks, we're going to be diving into this portion of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Roman church. I know the men and ladies, did, last year in 2023, you did a study on Romans 8. Um, and my promise to you is I will not use any material from that study to make sure that you do not get something that is regurgitated or, and uh, you don't get anything from that. So you get a first perspective, not a recycled one. You know, many people, many scholars have said, and rightfully so, that Romans 8 is the greatest chapter in all of Scripture. The question is, why is that? Because as many scholars have noted, Romans 8 lays out all that God is for us in his son Jesus. Right? There's just so much richness In this text, in this extremely powerful strategy, what we see is we see God's strategy for overcoming the power of sin in our lives. And how we can live in a way that doesn't just satisfy God, but you and I can live in a way that actually pleases God. We can see that here in Romans chapter 8. In Romans 8, there's this constant barrage of good news after good news after good news. And let me just tell you, it's better than any news you'll find anywhere else in this world. This news is better. This section of Scripture is really applicable to our lives. Not that other areas of Scripture are not applicable to our lives, but this area just, it just has everything. And so in this study, we're going to learn about the providence of God in our lives. We're going to learn about God's goal in our lives, that we would be changed more into the likeness of Christ. And I think we're going to be really deeply encouraged. I pray. That's my prayer. You know, about 40 years ago, Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse decided to ask a group of Christian leaders uh, to name their favorite chapter in the Bible. And so he wrote to 20 different Christian leaders, world leaders at the time, and he asked them, if you were shipwrecked on a desert island and you could only bring one book with you, but not just one book, one chapter of one book with you, what chapter in the Bible would you bring? The text that got the most choices or selection was Romans 8. Romans 8 did. 
And, and so there is just a richness of theology in this text, and I think it's going to put a solid ground under your feet. It can. It can put this solid ground under your feet, just like it did for the Apostle Paul. Now, what is theology? Theology is simply what you believe about God or the study of God. And I promise you, in this study of God that we're going to be doing here, I think you're going to see the beauty of Christ. You're going to see what it does. It doesn't just mean like how you can have Christ in your life, but I think you're going to see how you can live for Christ and how you can follow Christ as well. And so this morning, no matter what you came in here facing today, whether you came in here facing depression or suffering or hardship or trial or sickness or pain or waiting or anticipation, whatever you came in here this morning facing, I am declaring in the name of Jesus that you will be encouraged. That this morning you will be refreshed in the one and only name of Jesus. And so without further ado, let's dive into our text. Are you ready? Let's go. Let's get it. The first thing we're going to see if you're taking notes this morning, which I strongly encourage you to do throughout this series. So maybe if you have a phone, maybe you're like, hey, I didn't bring a pen and paper. I know you got a phone and it's got a note section. Take notes. Okay? Take notes. We are a church that takes notes. Number one, you are justified from sin in Christ alone. You are justified from sin in Christ alone. We see that in the very first verse. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When the New Testament writers, when they wanted to emphasize a word, they would put that word right at the very beginning of a sentence. And it was their way of saying, hey, this is really important. Don't miss this. Pay attention to what follows this word. In the Greek, as Paul writes this, the first word is not therefore. The first word is not there. The first word is not is. The first word is not now. The first word is actually our fifth word in this translation. It's the word no. It's actually the first word when the Apostle Paul writes this. And why is that? Because the Apostle Paul wanted to make it crystal clear to his audience that he was writing to that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Not some condemnation. Might, there might be some condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? So you know what that means? Here's what this means. This means that you may stumble. You may trip. You may make a billion mistakes in your life. You may sin. And we do sin, don't we? Oh, we sin. Right? You may have a thousand problems this morning. But for the believer of Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. Why? Check this out. Don't miss this. Because God says so. Because God says so. Right? You can struggle, but you're not going to be condemned. You can fall, but you're not going to be condemned. You can trip, but you're not going to be condemned. You can wander off the path, but you're not going to be condemned. Why? Because God says, I'm not going to condemn anybody who is in Christ Jesus. So when Jesus saved you, he didn't promise to take away all your problems, did he? No, because you'd be like, well, I'm st I still got problems, right? So that was never a promise that Jesus made. He didn't promise to take away your problems, but he did say this. He said, in your problems, there will be no condemnation, right? In your struggles, there's going to be no condemnation. In your failures, there's going to be no condemnation. In your wandering, there's going to be no condemnation. And so what does this mean? Is that it means this. It means that because of Jesus, there is no rejection of God for you. There's no rejection from God for, me, for you. God's not going to reject you just because you struggle. 
So hopefully that kind of relieves you a little bit this morning. If you came in here, you're like, I struggle in my walk. Well, what I want you to hear is God says, even if you struggle, I'm not going to condemn you. There's going to be no condemnation. You're not a bad person because you're having a hard time. You're not a bad person because it's a struggle to follow the Lord. I want to talk about that word condemnation for a minute. In the Greek, it's katakrima. And it means to judge somebody as 100% guilty. But the focus isn't so much on the guilt in that word. The focus in that word is that because you're guilty, you are now deserving of punishment. It's more focused on the verdict that follows the, the, the being guilty, if that makes sense. So the idea here is that literally that they're of judgment coming down on somebody with that word. And what Paul is saying here is Paul is saying that God's judgment is not going to come down on you. You don't have to worry about God's judgment coming down on you. Why? Because you are justified by faith in Christ. Right? If you're in Christ, you're not condemned. Here's why. You're not condemned because Jesus Christ was condemned for you. Jesus Christ was condemned in your place. Jesus took your position. There's no punishment because Jesus already took your punishment. He already took it. And so, friends, what I want you to hear is that God doesn't condemn you. And because God doesn't condemn you, you need to stop condemning yourself. Stop condemning yourself. Why? Because if God doesn't condemn you, you are imposing a sentence on you that God does not impose on you. And so there's no condemnation for who, though? This is where we need to make sure that we're clear, right? There's no condemnation for, for who? For those who are in Christ Jesus. So this is not for non-believers. Believer, or non-believers, there is condemnation for people who don't believe in Jesus. There is condemnation. They stand condemned already is what Scripture says. For non-believers, though, or for believers, excuse me, for believers, there is no condemnation. So to be in Christ means that you have your faith, you have placed your faith in Christ. To be in Christ means that you have unity with Christ. To be in Christ means that you have freedom in Christ, that you have safety in Christ, that you have security in Christ. Hold your position here in Romans chapter 8 in your Bible. Go back with me to Genesis chapter 6. So go back to me, go back with me to Genesis chapter 6. And I think this might help you better understand this really deep and profound truth. So Genesis chapter 6, verse 13, it says, Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence because of them, and behold, I'm about to destroy them with the earth. Now go to chapter 7. Then the Lord said to Noah in verse 1, Enter the ark, you and all your household. For you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. In verse 5, And Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. If you go down to verse 15 and 16. So they went into the ark by, to Noah. By twos, all of the flesh in which was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, entered as God had commanded him, and the Lord closed it behind them. Now hold your spot there. Noah was safe in the ark. Why? Why was Noah safe in the ark? That last little bit there, it says that God is the one who shut the door behind him. Now, the door was too big. It was impossible for them to have shut the door behind them. And so God is the one who physically shuts the door behind him. 
And friend, what we see here and what Paul is saying is that you are secure in Christ because you have been placed in Christ by God. And what has sealed you in is the grace of God. You are sealed in by the grace of God. And so this morning, if you came in here troubled, if you came in here distressed, if you came in here just suffering, right, in your soul, this should be a deep encouragement to you. The word of God should be liberating to you this morning, should be setting you free this morning. Because you came in here and you knew a truth this morning, just like we all did. You are unworthy of this. I am unworthy of this. We're all unworthy of this. You have failed a million times in your life. I failed a billion times in my life. And so we hear this truth, but the truth is this is how God sees us in Christ Jesus. This is how we are seen in Christ Jesus. Now, this morning you might sit here and you might say, Jordan, I still feel condemned. Jordan, you don't know what I did this week. You don't know what I've done in my life. You don't know the sins that, that are, are with me and follow me around, and, and, and you don't know what I hear. I just feel guilty all the time. I feel condemned all the, all the time. I, I just feel so unworthy of this. See, the question this morning, my friend, is this. The question this morning is not how do you feel. Do you feel condemned? Do you feel unworthy? That's not the question. The question is what does God say? If God is really the final authority, well, then what does God say here? Not what do you feel. What does God say? And what God says is, I see you in Christ Jesus, and you are never going to be touched by condemnation. That's what Jesus says about you. That's what God says about you. Think about this with me for a moment. Let me give you an example. Imagine there was an old man who had been in prison for years and years and years. And he can't hear very well anymore. He can't see very well anymore. And now he's about to go in front of the parole board for the fifth time. And every single time he's gone in front of the parole board, uh, every single time they've denied his parole. And so when he goes in front of the parole board this time, he feels like this time they're still going to reject me again. They're going to reject me. But imagine what happens when that parole board actually this time sets him free. But he can't hear it. He knows he's standing there. He can't hear what they're saying. He can't see what they're saying. But does that change what they're saying? Because he can't hear it and he can't see it, does it change it? Absolutely not. It doesn't change what they've said, that, that he is now free, that they are granting his parole. Friend, you may have poor spiritual vision today. And you may have poor spiritual hearing. That might actually happen. But the facts in your case do not change in front of God. If you are in Christ Jesus, God says, whether you hear it or not, whether you feel it or not, you have been set free. There is no condemnation for you. As the great theologian Ben Shapiro once said, facts don't care about your feelings. And that is the truth, right? In this situation, facts don't care about your feelings. And we are talking about God facts today. God facts don't care how you feel because it's the truth no matter what. See it, don't see it. Feel it, don't feel it. Believe it, don't believe it. Doesn't matter. Still true. Still true. And so what I would encourage you to do this morning is stop listening to your feelings. Some of us, we listen to our feelings more than we do God's word. So we read God's word and we sit there and they go, but I still don't feel it. And God is sitting there saying, just listen to what I'm telling you. Stop listening to your feelings over my voice. Listen to me. 
Stop listening to your circumstances. Stop listening to what you see on TV. See, this morning that Jesus defeated sin on the cross, that he defeated death by resurrecting from the grave. And because of what Jesus Christ has done through his life and his death and his resurrection, you are free from condemnation today. You're free from condemnation. Whether you feel it or not, it doesn't matter, right? If you are in Christ, you are free from condemnation. Why? Because God says so, period, point blank. How many of you have ever heard the term double jeopardy before? Double jeopardy. Now, we're not talking about jeopardy with Alex Trebek, rest in peace, right? But double jeopardy is actually a legal concept that protects a person from being prosecuted for the same crime twice. And so this came into play uh, in a Wisconsin case where a man had been tried for murder and he had been found innocent, declared innocent, but he was overwhelmed with the fact that he knew he actually committed the crime. And so two years of this goes by in his life. And so after these two years, he goes back to the judge who said that he was innocent and set him free. And he goes back to the judge and he says, no, 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 no. I messed up. I really did commit that murder. And the guilt has been overwhelming to me. Throw me in jail. Punish me. I deserve the punishment. And so the judge sitting there going, yeah, I think you do deserve the punishment too. He gets with the district attorney and they see, can this man be brought up on trial for murder? But what they discovered was that because of the principle in our law system of double jeopardy, the man could not be tried for that crime again. And so even though he was a murderer, he couldn't be punished for it because he had already been declared what? Not guilty. See, according to God's justice, according to God's justice system, we who are in Christ, we're just as guilty as that murderer, aren't we? No one's in here sitting here today saying you're perfect because you ain't perfect. I'm not perfect. We're not perfect. We're just as guilty before we were saved. But guess what? Now you're just as unpunishable as that man was. You can't be punished. Why? Not because of some legal technicality. You might sit there and say, well, that was a legal technicality. Not in God's system. Right? It's because of this. It's because any and every sin that you have ever committed or any and every sin that you will ever commit has already been laid on and dealt with by Jesus on the cross. It's all already been paid for. It's all already been punished. And in God's justice system, once is only his law and what it demands. That's it. And so are there still consequences when we do wrong? Yeah, there are, even as believers. But as far as the penalty from the law is concerned, Jesus' death makes you exempt from eternal punishment. Thank God for double jeopardy, amen? Yeah. Number two, if you're still taking notes, number two, you are liberated by the Holy Spirit. You're liberated by the Holy Spirit. Verse one and two, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Stop there. The Holy Spirit is repeatedly described throughout Scripture as the source of spiritual life. And where does this spiritual life, where does it it take place? This granting of spiritual life takes place where? In Christ. In Christ Jesus. So Paul, what he's doing here is Paul is teaching this new principle. And this is a new principle. It's not a set of rules when he uses the word law. It's a principle of spiritual life. And this principle is this. 
is that sin inside of you has now been overcome by a new and by a powerful principle, and that is the Spirit of God gives life. The Spirit of God gives life. I want you to look at it this way. Is that the Apostle Paul realized that even as a believer, even as a Christian, he could not keep God's law perfectly. How many of you can keep God's law perfectly? Nobody, right? None of us can Right? Nobody can keep God's law perfectly. The Apostle Paul realized that he could not keep God's law perfectly, and so he no longer tried. Now, some of you might sit there and say, wait, 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 wait. I don't like this. I don't know if I like where this is going. And that's that legalistic aspect of you coming out. So listen very carefully to what's happening here. Paul finally accepted himself as a sinner. He knows, I'm a sinner, and in my own strength, there is no hope of me ever pleasing God in my own strength. The Apostle Paul comes to this conclusion. But here's where he also goes. Because he knows that in his own strength, he can't please God. He takes his focus, and he puts his focus back on Jesus on the cross. And he finds this true joy, this deep life-changing joy because he realizes because of Jesus on the cross, there is no condemnation for me. Now, if I want to sit here and I want to try to earn my position in front of God, if I want to earn God's love, if I want to earn God's forgiveness, well, guess what? Guess what there's going to be for me? Condemnation. Because guess what I can't do? I can't keep God's law perfect. And because I can't keep God's law perfect, if I'm going to try to do that, I'm going to be condemned. So I have to look to the one who kept God's law perfect and who was punished for my sin. I have to look to Jesus. I got to look to Jesus. So Paul makes this great discovery. And the great discovery is that when he stops trying to keep the law in his own strength, and instead that he realizes that God has already saved him, and that the righteous requirements of the law are fully met in Christ, as verse 4 says, now he has peace. And now he has joy. So don't miss this. See, if Paul concentrates on just keeping the law instead of trusting Jesus, what would happen is pride And his old sin nature would take control, and what would he ultimately do? He would sin, just like you and I would. When you sit there and you say, I'm going to obey every rule, I'm going to do everything I possibly can, and you're going to do this in your own strength, what's going to happen inevitably is God is going to say, try it. You're going to fail because nobody can do this. Nobody can do this because of our sin nature. But when the Apostle Paul when he just concentrated just on trusting Jesus. Just trusting Jesus, what the Holy Spirit would do is the Holy Spirit would energize this new nature in him and what he would find is he would find himself living righteously. When he would just put his focus on Jesus, he would find he was living righteously. As, a, as just a, as a friendly note to you, brother or sister, as a Christian, you are not obligated to keep the law perfectly. You're no longer obligated to keep the law perfectly. Some of you may not want to hear that, but that is the truth. What you are to do is you are to respond solely to the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life. And hear me on this, friend. The Holy Spirit will never lead you to sin against God. So what you'll find is what? What you'll find is I'm living righteously by simply trusting in Jesus and keeping my focus on Jesus. But if you want to sit here today and you want to try and keep the law perfectly, you will sin. You will not live righteously because you can't earn that. You can't keep it. You can't do it. See, rules in God's kingdom have been replaced by relationship. 
Rules have been replaced by an intimate, personal relationship with who? With Jesus. How many of you like baseball? Does anybody in here like baseball? Okay, not bad. We got a handful of people. I'm, I'm actually, Barry, I'm actually more surprised that more people like baseball. I thought it was just going to be me, you, you and me and nobody else here. But in baseball, what is the base that you want to get to? Well, you want to get to first base first, right? Yeah. Inevitably, you want to get to home, but you know you can't just stand at home and it counts as a point. You got to go to first. And so every person playing baseball, when they come up to that batter's box, they want to get to first. But the way you don't get to first is by standing there in the batter's box and staring at first base. If you stare at first base, guess what's going to happen? You're never going to get there. You're not going to get there. So what do they teach you from the time you're a little boy or a little girl? They say, put your focus where? On the ball. Watch the ball. Because if you can hit the ball, then guess what? Then you can get to first base. You can get to first base. See, too many believers, what they're doing is they're putting their focus on first base. They're putting their focus on the law. They're putting their focus on keeping all the rules, on trying to keep you know, God happy in their own strength. And what happens is all they do is keep striking out. They got a batting average of 0, zero, zero which means they're trash. They're garbage. Why? Because you trying to earn God's love and his favor and his blessings and your own strength is garbage. You can't do that. You have no hope of doing that. And so what Paul is saying here, I want you to hear it. What he's saying is, keep your eyes on the ball. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus, and then you'll discover that you arrive at first base and you didn't even try. Because what? Because Jesus already, he's already done it all for you. Right? And so in short, listen, the Holy Spirit, he's the one who brings life into you. Remember that. You were dead, but now you're alive. And you're only alive because the Holy Spirit now lives in you. And he has set you free to be the person that God has called you to be and who God wants you to be. You're free to do that if the Holy Spirit is in you. If you have read the, the, the letter of, of Romans, chapter 7 was this description of believers in our struggling, failing condition in front of God. We had this condition, we, we, were, we were struggling, we were failing, but in Romans 8, the Apostle Paul encourages us as believers to focus on our perfect position in Jesus. And hear me on that, you have a perfect position in Christ if you're a Christian today. Not a, 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 a position that maybe one day you might have some hope. No, today you already have it. You already have this perfect position in Christ. And the more you believe God's word about his position in Christ, in your position in Christ, it will affect your condition in Christ. So the more you focus on your position, it will affect your condition. Does that make sense? Yeah? Prayerfully it does. But in the fact that you have been set free, here's what it means. It means you don't have to sin anymore. You don't have to sin anymore. You don't have to live in defeat anymore. You don't have to go years and years and years of doing the same old sin every single year, every single day, whatever it might be, and you keep going back to that same sin. Anybody ever been there before? Right? You keep going back to that same sin. You don't have to do that anymore. Why? Why don't you have to do that anymore? Because the law of the Spirit who gives life in Jesus Christ has set you free. He has set you free. So therefore, here's what this means. If you choose to live in sin, if you choose to be defeated by sin, it's because you have chosen to live that way, not because you have to live that way. You chose to live that way. 
Back in the 19th century, uh, our president at the time realized that something radical had to be done about slavery in our country. And so he was unwilling to look the other way as all the other presidents that had gone before him had done. And so on January 1st, 1863, he presented what came to be known as the Emancipation Proclamation. And the Emancipation Proclamation, if you remember back from elementary history, was what? It was this document that condemned human slavery. It was a document that said human slavery is wrong and America will not tolerate it anymore. Everybody is free. And so Abraham Lincoln was that president. And he realized that human slavery went against human dignity. And he officially abolished it from the United States on that day. But what tragically, the tragedy here is that little changed in the daily lives of the people in our country. Little changed. And why did, that little, why did that little change happen? Because if you've read and you remember back from history, the Civil War kept going, didn't it? He, he declares and he makes this Emancipation Proclamation, but guess what? The, this, the war keeps going. The fighting keeps happening. The plantation owners never informed their slaves. The vast majority of slaves couldn't read. And so they had no idea about this great news. They had no idea this great news that they had been set free by the highest authority in our country. And so for the longest time, slavery continues, even though it had already been brought to an end by our president. The war ended in April 1865. Do you know when Abraham's you know, declaration here, when it was officially enacted? It was officially enacted, meaning when did people finally stop being slaves? When did people finally start living in freedom? It wasn't until April, or excuse me, December 18th, 1865, more than three years after he had already released that proclamation. Lincoln had been dead for months by this time. He had already been shot and assassinated and killed. He had been dead by the time this was realized in our country, by the time that both houses amended the Constitution with the 13th Amendment. And so after this, after the, the, the houses amend the Constitution, word now travels through Washington. So imagine this. Today, if, if some great news happens, it immediately goes from a phone to the world, to the masses, right? Like instantly, you could hear something that just happened like one minute ago. Didn't work like that then. So the news had to travel. And the news travels from Washington. It travels into Virginia. And it travels from Virginia into the Carolinas and then into Georgia and then Alabama and Mississippi and Louisiana and then Texas and Arkansas. And it had been announcing what had already been true for already over a thousand days in our country. That what? That all men were equal. That African Americans were no longer slaves. Slavery was illegal. What was really sad though was that there was still a lot of African Americans who didn't know. They never found out or it took them a long time to find out even after this news traveled or they didn't even believe it. Because they had grown up and their whole existence they had thought, this is how I'm condemned to live. I'm always going to live this way. I'm always going to have to live this way. Even though they had already been declared free men and free women since 1862. Now if you think that seems shocking, let me tell you something just as shocking. Is believers in Jesus Christ still living enslaved to sin even though that power of sin has no power over them anymore? Still willfully saying, put the chains, keep the chains on me. I'm still going to live this way. See, what has freed us is someone much greater than Abraham Lincoln. 
Jesus Christ. Jesus, Jesus Christ's death on the cross has set us free from the power of sin and the power of death is what the Apostle Paul is saying. I want you to listen to our emancipation proclamation as Christians. What is our emancipation proclamation? Well, our emancipation proclamation is what? That at the resurrection, what is declared to the world? At the resurrection, it was declared that Satan has been defeated. Sin has been conquered. Death no longer has its sting. Romans chapter 6, verse 6, here it is. Here's the Emancipation Proclamation. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So, friend, you don't have to sin anymore. You don't have to sin. You know why you sin? You sin because you want to. Now, some of you might say, that doesn't sound encouraging. I thought you said we were going to get encouraged. That doesn't sound affirming. I, I, I feel discouraged now. Like every single time you sinned last week, you wanted to. Every single time you sinned this morning, you wanted to. It wasn't the new nature that God has put in you that was operating. It was that old nature that was still operating. You gave in to that old nature that you have been enslaved to so much of your life. As a Christian living like this, you're under this false belief sometimes that this is just the way that I've always been. And because this is the way that I've always been, these are the things that I've always done, these are the things that I always will do, there's no hope for me, I'm never going to change, I'm always going to be this way, there's things that I just can't help. But friend, that is not the way it has to be, is it? That is not the way it has to be. What I want you to hear is that is the way you choose to be. That is the way you choose to be. Think of it like this. When you're driving in the mountains, anybody ever driven in the mountains before? Handful of you? As we drive in the mountains, what do they have a lot of things? They have a lot of these things that kind of help warn you about twists and turns. What do, they, what do they have? Signs, right? And these signs, as you're driving up a mountain, sometimes it tells you slow down because what? There's a big turn coming, right? And if you don't slow down, the sign is telling you, right? It literally shows you a picture of a car going off a cliff. This is you, right? If you don't slow down and take this curve the right way, you're going off the cliff, now, you have a choice in that moment. You can look at the sign and you can sit there and say, I don't care. I'm driving off the cliff. That's your prerogative, right? Even though they're going to put guardrails there to try to block you, you can still be a dummy and drive off the cliff and say, I'm ignoring the signs. Or you could do something different. You could sit there and look at the sign and you could say, I don't want to lose my life. I'm going to slow down and I'm going to take the corner the right way so that what? So that I don't die. So that I don't do the wrong thing here anymore. Listen, friend, when you realize that you are faced with temptation, what I want you to hear is that you can stand up to temptation in your life. You can stand up to sin in your life. You don't have to give in to sin anymore in your life. That's what Romans 6, 6 is saying, right? It means when we are no longer slaves to sin. He says because of anybody who has died in Christ, you are freed from sin. It doesn't mean that you're never going to sin again. That's not what he's saying. It means that you are freed from the power of sin. You're freed from the power. Thanks to Jesus Christ, you can walk in freedom and you can walk in victory over sin. What I want you to hear this morning is this. A lot of Christians have this confused. And they think that freedom in Christ is now I can do whatever I want to do. And that's what they think. They think that freedom in Christ is I can do whatever I want to do and God is still going to love me. I have this freedom in Christ. 
Freedom in Christ is not doing whatever you want to do. Freedom in Christ is now you have the power to do what you should do. See, before you came to know Jesus, before you had the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you didn't have the power to obey God. You couldn't. It's why you constantly sinned. It's why you needed a Savior. You had no power to obey Jesus. But guess what? Now you have the power to obey Jesus. You have been set free to do what you should do. This is what it means to have freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ is now I can obey God. I have the power to obey God. I am free to obey God. Lastly this morning is this, number three. God the Father did for you what you couldn't do. He sent his son Jesus to pay the price for your sin in full. Just a quick note, something that just came up for me here is make sure you're paying attention to the Trinity here. We're seeing the Trinity right, right here in, in Scripture in just these first few verses. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. As Paul said back in chapter 4 and chapter 5, the law brought God's wrath. And actually, the law, because people were trying to keep the law, it actually led to more sin. See, the problem was not the law. God's law is not the problem, right? God's law is holy, it's righteous, it's good. The problem is our flesh. This is the problem. See, the law doesn't give you the power to help you keep it, does it? I don't know about you, it doesn't help me. The law's not helping me. The law's not giving me any power to help me keep it. And so that's why we couldn't keep it because our flesh, what Paul is saying, is weak. And so what God had to do is if God really wants to be able to have a relationship with us, that was not possible because, right, we break the law, it separates us from God. And so God had to intervene, didn't he? God had to intervene so that the law wouldn't lead to you and I being condemned. Because if God doesn't intervene, that's exactly what happens. You and I are just condemned. But thankfully, God did intervene, amen? He intervenes and he sends his son, and salvation is a completely free gift from God. See, thanks to Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. He paid the penalty for your sin. Jesus' death on the cross was substitutionary. What does that mean? Jesus was your substitute. He took your place. It should have been you on that cross. It should have been me on that cross. But Jesus said, I'll take their place. I'll pay for her sin. I'll pay for his sin. I'll pay for their sin. And so Jesus dies the death that we deserve. Why? So that we could be free from the law of sin and death. Are you tracking with me? You following? Dwight Moody told the story of a young man who didn't want to serve in Napoleon Bonaparte's army. And so when this young man was drafted, he, he didn't want to go. And so he had a friend, though, who volunteered to go fight in his place. And so that substitution was made. They allowed that friend to go fight in his place. And sometime later, that friend, that substitute, was killed in battle. And months later, after his friend was killed in battle, that same young man got drafted again. Wouldn't you know it? He got drafted. You almost think it would be the American government at that point, right? But it wasn't, right? And so basically what happens is the officers come up to him and they say, hey, you've been drafted. You've got to come with us. And he says, no, 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 no. I've already died. And the officers are like, okay, we've heard a lot of excuses as we try to go get people who have been drafted. This, this, is a, this is a foolish excuse. We can see you right in front of us. You have not already died. 
And the man said, go look at the roll. Go look at the roll. You'll see that I've already died. And sure enough, they go back and they look at the roll. And what do they see? They see that that man has already died. They see his name, that he's deceased. But they see a name that's also right beside his name. So they didn't know what to do. So the, the case actually comes up before Napoleon himself. And after looking at the evidence, Napoleon says, through a substitute, this man has not only fought, but has died in his country's service. No man can die more than once. Therefore, the law has no claim on him. See, Paul has been dealing with two key doctrines here in these first four verses this morning. He's been dealing with the two doctrines, and I want you to write these down. These are big words, but you need to know them. Sanctification and justification. You need to know these two words. These are very important words. Both of these words are central to the good news of Jesus Christ in your life. I want to talk about justification really quick. Justification is strictly an act of God. And it's actually a legal declaration where God says this person is no longer unrighteous. They are now righteous. They are no longer guilty. They are innocent. And God declares the unrighteous actually righteous in his sight. So in Jesus, here's what happens. In justification, here's what happens. You go from guilty to innocent. You go from dirty to clean. You go from ashamed to a son or a daughter. This is your position in Christ. You have been justified. Amen? All right, Jesus' righteousness has been imputed onto you. You are the sinner. You had no righteousness. And so Jesus says, I'm going to put my righteousness on you. In the same way that God took your guilt, your shame, your sin, and he took it, and he laid it on Jesus on the cross, now he takes Jesus' righteousness and he lays it on you. We know what that's called, and I've told you before, Martin Luther called it the great exchange. Right, that now like you got all your sin laid on Jesus, every bit of it. Like even today, when you leave here today, and prayerfully you don't do this, but someone cuts you off and you curse at them or you tell them they're number one, whatever sin that might be today, whatever it's going to be, that sin has already been laid on Jesus. All of it. It's been laid on him. And all of Jesus' righteousness has been laid on you. So when God the Father looks at you, he goes, justified, not guilty, because all he sees is the righteousness of Jesus that's been imputed to you that covers you. Amen? Listen, we're justified through faith alone when we place our faith in Christ alone. You're not justified by any good that you do. Just remember that. We talked a little bit about that last week, that you can, you can uh, profess saving faith and you don't possess saving faith. That is possible. Many have done that. So we're not justified by our good works. Right? We're justified because of Jesus' finished good work on the cross. Sanctification is different. Justification is a one-time thing. It's a one-time thing where God declares someone righteous. Sanctification, though, is a lifelong process. And it's a lifelong process that God uses to make a person righteous. Sanctification is now that you have been freed and delivered from sin. Now the Holy Spirit, he's helping you to become more like Jesus. He's helping you to walk in victory over your flesh. He's helping you to walk in victory over the world and over the enemy. The ultimate goal of sanctification is what? The ultimate goal of sanctification is that you would become more like Jesus. That's his, God's goal in your life. He wants you to become more like Christ. Justification happens when God declares a guilty sinner to be righteous. Sanctification is different. It happens when God makes the believing sinner righteous over time. Justification is a one-time act. 
Sanctification is a lifelong process. Justification frees you from the penalty of sin, and sanctification frees you from the power of sin. So I'm going to end with this. Two really important questions. I want you to pay attention to these questions because these are important for you. The first question is this, is are you in Christ Jesus? If we're looking at anything, all of these truths are only true for who? Those who are in Christ Jesus. So the question we have to ask ourselves first is, am I in Christ Jesus? How do I know if I'm in Christ Jesus? Have I placed my faith in his sacrifice on the cross for my sin? Have you done that? If you have done that, if you've placed your faith in Jesus' in his, in his payment for your sin on the cross, then the good news for you this morning is there is no condemnation for you. Not now, not ever. And that peace right now, I pray that it would just fill whatever void. When God takes that, that, that lie out of your life that you were condemned, that you felt condemned, when God takes that out of your heart this morning, I, feel, or I pray that he fills that void with his peace. You would know this morning, there's no condemnation for me. I am in Christ Jesus. Let that truth sink deep into our souls this morning. Amen? And then if you are in Christ Jesus, the next question is this. Are you walking according to the Spirit? Are you walking according to the Holy Spirit or are you walking according to the flesh? Because in our lives, it's only one of the two, isn't it? You're either walking according to your flesh or you're walking according to the Spirit. Pick one. That's you. Which one are you? Every day, are you submitting to the Holy Spirit's leading your life? And not just one time, like when you're in bed in the morning, you go, all right, Holy Spirit, I'm submitting to you. That's a great way to start, but it needs to be constant throughout the day, right? Constantly, we're submitting to the Holy Spirit's power in our life. We submit to the Holy Spirit's power in our life so that his fruit, right, his love, his joy, his peace, his patience, his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his gentleness, and his self-control Those things grow in us. So the question I would ask you is, are those things growing in you right now? Do you see yourself growing? Now, you may not be perfect, but that's okay, right? No one's asking, are you perfect? What we are asking is the fruit of the Spirit. Is it growing in your life? Is it growing in you? Jesus died, and he made you alive so that you could be free from the law of sin, so that you could be free from the law of death. He has set you free, amen? Somebody praise God with me. Let's, let's go to him. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your word. Lord, as we look at these first four verses here, we see that you have set us free. We see that, that Lord, that you have died for us, that you have paid our penalty for us, that if we are in you, there is no condemnation. Lord, there's people in this place who don't believe this right now. They're trying to believe it. They're trying to grab a hold of it. But, Lord, there's something either in their mind or in their heart that is prohibiting them from fully believing this. And, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would take your sledgehammer and you would wreck their heart with that right now. Whatever wall is prohibiting them from believing this truth, knock it down right now, Father. Lord, we pray that this morning that whatever you knock down, that you would build something back up in its place. So, Lord, build up peace back in our lives. Build joy into our lives. Build your your faithfulness into our life, your goodness. Build these things in our lives, Father, in place of where our faith was. So many of us, Lord, we, we sit here and we think that our feelings are what dictate truth. 
because I don't feel this way, it can't be real. Because I don't feel this way, it can't really happen. And Lord, our feelings are not the ultimate truth. Our feelings lie to us constantly. But Lord, you never lie to us. And Lord, for those of us who are in you, your word says there is no condemnation. Not now, not ever. So Jesus, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you for this awesome truth of, of Romans 8. What a joy it is, Lord, to know these truths. And Lord, this is just the first week of, of 8 where we're learning these key important truths. And it just gets richer and richer. But Lord, today we heard this. And Lord, as we heard this, Lord, we pray that you would make it sink into our souls and change our lives as you change us more into the likeness of Christ. Jesus, we love you and we pray these things in your name. Amen.